on Thursday. On a Friday. On a Saturday. <laughs> on a Sunday. Monday, maybe. I don't know. I'm still thinking about it. That's how I feel. It's 7.10 a.m. Saturday, July the 13th, 2019. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane Show. So we didn't do a show last week. Yeah, no, no. things were busy. Things were busy. Things last weekend were just too busy, and it was just energetically, it was just not in the cards. And um, you know, yeah, we're a free people, and are we a free people? <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Uh, you and, had to uh, see the expression that went along with that. To, yeah, to get the full throttle effect. L- little visual for the Bill and Diane show. Little visual. You know, I've always thought we should do a video for. Never, oh, yeah. Never mind. Right, Never know, mind. Early in the morning. Yeah. Saturday. Leary. I got myself a cup of coffee here, and I'm going to take me a sip. Uh, got a cup of joe. Ah, ham and eggs. Yeah, it was a busy. It was a, it's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, as per usual. It has been very hectic. For, uh, for me, it has been hectic at work because this is like the... That was, this is kind of like the siege week. Yeah, this is siege week. <laughs> Although it went pretty well. Yeah. But um, but I don't know. I don't want to talk about that. You don't want to talk about that? I don't want to talk about Fine. that. Fine, you don't have to talk about that. I would say, unless you... Do you have something you want to say mm-hmm. about your week? I'm casting around. I know there are things. I just. You know. Well, I would say the highlight for my week... Uh, everything about this week is about vulnerability. Yeah. We watched that Brene Brown thing. That was very impactful. Call to Courage, right? right. Uh, Netflix. Yeah. But the way that this was introduced to me is you uh, said that Mark Marin had interviewed her. Had interviewed her on his show, WTF. Yeah. And yeah. It was a, it's a great interview. And it was... So you downloaded it on my podcast, and I listened to it when I was coming into work, and and it was so fascinating. I have known about Brené Brown, and I've even gotten some audiobooks by her, and I haven't listened to them yet. But uh, but I'd, everything, every quote I've read has always really impressed me. Yeah, I'd seen her first couple of TED Talks um, and was impressed by those. It's an interesting topic, and the and the, inqu- the equating of uh, vulnerability with courage, I think, is particularly uh, spot on. Yeah, and you know, it's a combination of things that one would not link together in that way, but once you do in your mind, it's just going to make total sense. So, yeah, she's got a lot of good points to make. But and if you like the, if you've seen the Netflix thing, and if you liked it, you should find the uh, WTF interview it covers a lot of the same ground but it seems a lot more personal and a lot less presentational and uh, well because she's because she's talking just talking one on one with somebody yeah. and the other thing that was interesting is that Mark Marin was kind of calling on her own issues that oh, yeah, he well, could identify that's what he kind of know? that's what he kind of does in his interviews because he's not only talking about what they want to talk about, but he's talking about their history and how they kind of came, came into being the person they are and came into being 
being connected with what they're known for. And, you know, I really like his interview style, and it works better with certain people than it does with other people. But I thought Brene Brown was, like, totally game for it, and that's why it was such an effective interview, because uh, her sense of humor really comes forward in a lot more of a spontaneous way. Yeah. So she, she's just, she, it's, it's less of a show and more just a conversation. So Anyway. But I, the reason why that affected me so much is that um, I would say that that's what I seek out in almost every relationship I've ever had to greater or lesser success. Yeah. And the greatest success I've had with vulnerability is with you. And, and some people might say, yes, but all married couples would have that. And I feel like not in my not, experience. Yeah. No, it is not an automatic part of the package. <laughs> when you sign the paper and exchange rings, it does not make you vulnerable. <laughs> and and actually, it could make you even, even less vulnerable, less vulnerable yeah, and actually. less likely to share your inner world. And one of the greatest gifts of my life has been being with you and, and getting more and more vulnerable over the years and um well likewise i think when we found each other we both realized we'd found what we'd always been looking for and yeah. had maybe had maybe achieved you know pieces of it in the past but never really the whole package i've always thought it's interesting that that people will make themselves vulnerable often to strangers but they won't to the people who are around them it's a weird thing as a perform a performing musician that you know it's it's strange how sometimes when I'm performing I feel more at home in my body and in the world than at any other time in my life there are, there are moments on stage where I'm just like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing yeah. it's moments but it's a nice thing to to realize or to have the opportunity to realize which I think uh, because it's a, it's a different kind of vulnerability, I guess, when you're performing like that. Uh, but it's still vulnerability, and it kind of brings you in contact with it uh, through another door or something like that. Uh, sorry. But you're, no, I digress. That was not quite uh, true for you, though, because you're vulnerable with the people around you, too. Yeah, I was talking about more, uh, in my mind, it's like, a lot of times people make themselves like you'll talk to somebody on a bus or you'll tell somebody all these deep held secrets because you know know you'll never see them oh, again. Oh, I see what you you're know? saying. I see well, particularly being on a on a journey where you really know you won't see people. The bus, you know, you can kind of you might see that person again the next day. But I think sometimes people want to disclose things to somebody who's never going to pose a problem in the future for having been vulnerable with and uh, and I just find that I don't know remember when I was um, married to my first husband um, he was I want to say kind of embarrassed and weirded out by the fact that I usually made myself fairly vulnerable to people and one time he had a conversation with, uh, about it with me, and he said, why do you do that? You know, why, 
why do you tell people so much about yourself? And I mean, why do you create that kind of a situation? And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, people can use it against you. You know, they could, they could do something to you with information about your life. And I, and I remember at that time saying, well, if I go around with a suit of armor, emotional armor, I won't get stabbed, but I can't get a hug either, yeah, you know? And you, and you get to make a choice as to whether you want to walk around living a fear-based life. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's basically what he's asking you is uh, why you're not more afraid. Yeah. Well, and, and sometimes it did backfire yeah. on me. I mean, oftentimes would, but... But I still felt like the times that I got stabbed were the were worth. Uh, I mean, it was worth to have the times where I was hugged and loved. So I just felt like, nah, not going your path. Yeah. But anyway, so I I felt like this week has all been all about vulnerability. That's because yeah. um, we've had some wonderful talks this week and epic, epic talks epic. and. Um, I don't know. Do you think it was brought about any from that show at all? Do I you think, think it was. I think there uh, a, a context was established. I think there was a kind of a subcurrent to our conversations after we'd watched yeah. that. Uh, you know, we we were referencing it in our conversations, so it dovetailed nicely. But I I always feel like uh, my observation in life has been that a lot of times when when it's somebody who you really love and that you're really close to, that sometimes it can make it even harder to be vulnerable with that person and, and bring up something. Yeah, because you got to live with it. Yeah, you know, yeah. It well, and also you can lose the person, yeah. possibly, potentially. But uh, I was thinking about situations in my life with my family that I wish that I had been more vulnerable with them, you know? But a lot of times you just, I don't know, the whole dynamic of a mother, father, child, child situation, it's a, that's a tough one, I think. It is. I remember when my dad was dying that it was, um, I mean, in retrospect, when I, when I look back on it, I think I could have appro approached him in a different way during that period of time and been, been more vulnerable uh, with him. But I think his circumstance... And where he was, and the kind of things I could see that he preferred, made that kind of hard. Yeah. And I think everybody in the family kind of steeled themselves in a certain kind of, from a certain kind of vantage point around my dad, uh, who didn't appear to want to volunteer much at that time. Yeah. So, I don't know, I feel like... Uh, as my mom approaches the end, it's a different experience. And yeah. my mom, uh, and my dad never really softened up, is what I think. And it's probably because he was too young to die, and he knew it. Yeah. And he was angry uh, someplace in, in him that he didn't, he didn't see any, any uh, benefit to going there for him in that state. So, I mean, I feel like I, I can understand his the way he was, and I think it was based more on circumstance than on who he was inside. 
Because I don't think my dad was afraid to be vulnerable, especially with his kids. I mean, at least uh, not afraid to talk about things. Right. So. Well, I have the feeling that, I mean, I don't think my mom made herself too vulnerable throughout our growing up years. Um, but she had a lot to handle, too, you know. Yeah. But I, I keep thinking, but my parents created a safe enough place for me to be vulnerable that I've carried it throughout my life. Yeah. And I must have gotten the the idea from somebody, you know. Yeah. And I think the... Uh... The key in a family setting when you have small children is just to allow everybody to have their emotions. Yeah. You know, I think, and I, you know, when I, because I think everybody, when I was growing up, we had that. I think that was something that was true in our household. And I never recognized it as being a unique thing. But I have known a lot of people wherein that was just not allowed because of, you know, some other kind of set of rules that were imposed on the situation that ev- that at the time everybody agreed with and yeah. didn't see a problem with but it dis- it creates a different kind of environment for growing up and I think children one of the things that children need to learn how to do is to express their emotions you know kind of as they're happening yeah. and you know you learn by practice how to do it more diplomatically or to you know be aware of other people's feelings and stuff like that so well interestingly I didn't have that in my growing up years I mean my parents were very loving but they had sort of a they came from a different generation that it was sort of like the children are children the parents are parents we have we have to project a, a virtue and responsibility to our children and and uh and they did not encourage a lot of uh of conversation in that way in fact when i first watched you with your kids i was just like whoa you know it was so totally different than the way that my parents handled us and and uh the parent in my head was going i can't believe he's doing that (laughs) but then after a while i was thinking wow that's pretty cool you only you, know, you only know the way you know. Yeah, you know? exactly. But but I don't know why. Uh, I wanted to be open because I wasn't all that open all the time with my family about about a lot of stuff. I yeah. mean, a lot of times in my family, somebody would do something wrong. Maybe there was a dent in the car or something. Right. You'd walk into the the breakfast, uh, the family breakfast. And my parents were just steely silent. The air was heavy. The air was heavy with disapproval. (laughs) And you'd start trying to guess, is it me? Is it Gary? Is it one of them? I remember situations like that, too. I mean, Ah. those, I feel like in my household, I often heard the phrase, children are to be seen and not heard. But it was like, they would say that, but then the circumstance of the day or whatever was going on in the room would just complain, kind of just blow it out of the water as it was, you know. So it was interesting to grow up in a, in a, in a environment that seemed free in spite of itself kind yeah. of thing. You know? So it makes me wonder whether it was partially the, the things that I was seeing throughout my 
my life, you know, I, I always think about all in the family when mm -hmm. we were young, oh, yeah. that there was a lot of emotional content. Uh, and you talk about, it wouldn't be exactly vulnerability that they were showing, but they were definitely showing a different style of communicating. Yeah. But, but I just found, um, because I've actually found that the more vulnerable I'm even at, I even am at work, and I'm not even talking about personal stuff, but the fact that if you do something wrong and you can go to your supervisor and just say, look, this went wrong, this is why, this is what I would like to do to correct it, it's so much better for your health. Yeah. Than sitting and cowering in the corner yeah. waiting for somebody to find waiting out. Waiting for somebody to find out, hiding it and yeah. pushing it away, and yeah. I don't know. I feel like in the in, in my work environment, I've always been the kind of guy who will. You come upon something that needs to be done, you're not sure, you know how it's been done, you know how you would do it, but you're not sure if that's right. So I will always, if I would always go and check, first and try and clear the way ahead of time, to where I think it actually annoyed my supervisors that I was always coming to them to ask if this is okay or not. They thought I lacked, you know, confidence or. Initiative. Initiative, you know, something like that. And I was, basically, I just didn't want to screw up, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I didn't want to deal with the fallout on the other side. And I figured if I can find out what how to do this correctly before I even do it, that's to everybody's benefit, right? <clears throat> anyway, it's, it's, it's strange. But, when but it, I, it's a different kind of vulnerability because... It's they, very much so. A I lot of times so. I was ended up, I, I was seen as kind of a wimpy employee because I was afraid to do anything yeah. well when I met you and we well we started the, the our communication when we because we knew each other but we didn't really talk that much back yeah. in victory music days right. we didn't know each other well and when you wrote the first letter you wrote to me after my birthday party I just was... This would have been in 2006, yes. for those of you keeping score at home. <laughs> Man, I just was totally... I mean, that letter was like catnip to me. Hmm. And one of the reasons why I loved it is you said, tell me everything I'd like to know about you. All the deep, dark stuff, not just the surface news. And that was the line, not just the surface news. And so... Instantly, in our our correspondence, we had vulnerability, I would say. I, well, pretty instantly. But I'll tell you, when I came away from your birthday party, what I, when I thought, you know, I was, I was like awash in good feelings and camaraderie, and I was thinking about all the people that I'd seen that I hadn't seen in so long, including Chris and Jim and Jim Hind and uh, Terry Lane. I remember Terry Lane. Neil. Yeah, Neil. Woodman. Anyway, when I thought about you, I was like, okay, so this person who I have known all these years, if she, she was the, the agent by which this entire event happened for everybody, she's got some shit working on. She's got stuff going on. She's, <laughs> she's not, uh, she's not some kind of a shallow little pool. She's got some depth here. And uh, it seemed worth exploring even as a friend even if I I knew at that point that there would be no chance of any romantic 
interconnection, although I was feeling kind of, you know. <laughs> I kind of had the little zings on my strings going on. <laughs> so. Well, and I just feel like that communication led to, uh, it's sort of like it, we established the basis very early on. I think we skipped over a lot of what would be traditionally called courtship. Yeah. By just concentrating on learning about each other as individuals and how we think in a very direct kind of way from the start rather than dancing around each other and, you know, doing all that stuff. Because I knew I was or too far. I couldn't dance around you. I was too damn far away, <laughs> you know. And plus, I was so sick of that. And I was still entangled in, you know, the what would be called the rock bottom of that. And, you know, it was just increasingly obvious that this was not the way. <laughs> the way I had been pursuing in my life was indeed not the way. Well, and also, we both had come to the conclusion that you should be really upfront right away so that the person doesn't discover things later on and, and basically feel like you misrepresented yourself in right. some way. Because that had become increasingly easy to do. And, and so it felt like just really shallow, yeah. a very shallow approach. And it had never yielded to what I ultimately wanted. So that you, you find that there's an inherent dishonesty in doing that dance. Because you're not trying to uh, know someone, you're trying to impress someone. Yeah. That's the wrong impulse. Yeah. I still remember one of our first conversations after our, uh, our communications had started that you had pulled over into Bill's Bill's yes. gas <laughs> parking <remember> lot, <laughs> and uh, after you had come out of a meeting, because I had called you. This is the first call after, and I tried to call you, and I said, um, "I was at the, I was at." The, I could uh, hear clinking and of glasses and stuff in the background, and and when you when you answered the phone, you said hello, and I said, "Bill, it's Diane," and you said. I knew it, or something, because I think you had the uh, 206 area code. Uh, right. And then I said, is this a good time to talk? And you said, no. <laughs> we, were, we were at Campbell's Resort in Chelan. I can't remember what the meeting was. It might have been... With advertisers, I, I think. I know, I know. It was a, but it was a group of us, and I can't remember what the occasion was right. for the gathering, but it was, it was kind of part... Uh, just a social occasion and part of business meeting and I was you know I was watching other people taking my cues from my cohorts because I didn't know yeah I didn't have I don't have a mind like uh, you know when it came to sales I was completely at sea and yeah. so uh, you said but I really want to talk to you I'll give you a call back you know and so um, so you called fairly soon after that and but you had pulled out and gone to this parking lot and and we just had this marvelous conversation, but I remember at one point that you said, um, you know, that's so strange because uh, I'm just telling you the truth about me. Most of the times I've, in the past, I've always tried to give the, the best representation of myself or the most entertaining or whatever. 
but I'm, I'm just telling you about me, really. And then you said, which is really strange, because I want you to like me. <laughs> I will never forget that. And when you said that, I thought, oh, I love this man. I love this man. And then that was the conversation that I said, what would you like to be? What are the endearments oh you like God. to be called? Oh, my God. And you said, hey, stupid comes to mind. <laughs> I said, that's not going to be my endearment for you. And then you said, well, William, because that's my name, but nobody ever calls me that. And I said, well, then you're going to be my sweet William. You know, the reason that occurred to me, because at that, I remember at that time, there have been different times in my life, and this is completely tangential. So we can, I know you'll remember the train of what you were saying. All the poets that I love, like William Stafford, Richard Hugo, in their friends, it was Bill and Dick. Yeah. But on their books, it was always the full. William, yeah. So I remember different times wondering if I ever had a book that was published, you know, on a, by an actual press of my poems, would I want to be William Davy or would I want to be Bill Davy? Yeah. I think I settled on Bill. I, you know, I, and thinking about that, I'm like, because, you know, William is my given name, you know. I never use it. You know, it, never gets, it never gets used. So but I'm, I use it yeah, all the time. She does. Anyway. Yeah. So that's been the theme of our week. So I was listening to music at work because it's been very busy, and I, I, I have a very busy office, so sometimes if you really want to focus, you have to plug in the earphones and yeah. and listen to something because it's hard to I was thinking you need to get one of the, some of them voice uh, noise canceling headphones. Yeah. That you can use just just to make it quiet around you or you can right. plug them in and you know a lot of them are bluetooth capable. But I was listening to Joni Mitchell. Joni. And she doesn't know anything about this. Then why would you? Pardon me, I'm going to have another drink of coffee. Listen to Joni Mitchell. She doesn't know anything about vulnerability. <laughs> you boy. That's good coffee. And I came upon, and I'm just going to say, one of the songs that we are going to play today, which is so much meaning for me now. It's funny how you listen to things all your life. And then at certain points, well, it wasn't all my life, but from my high school, college years, you know. And all of a sudden, it just dawns on you at some point in your life what that song was all about right. and what it meant Miles in a much... Of, Miles of Isles came out in 74, right? Which is the same year as Court and Spark. Yeah, I think so. But, oh, Miles and... That has always been one of my favorite albums of yeah. all time. Yeah. And... But I listened to this song, Jericho, and it suddenly occurred to me that the incredible wisdom that she had when she was writing that song because she said I'll try to keep myself open up to you that's a promise I made to love when it was new yeah. and I was thinking how all your life you're you're you have to try it doesn't all of a sudden get resolved at some point oh I'm always in this this situation of vulnerability I'm always going to open myself up to people and keep the walls down and um and i just thought it was so brilliant i always did think the song was brilliant 
But for some reason, I really focused on that. I'll try yeah. to keep myself open up to you. Well, because that that speaks of the the journey of it. That there's it, actually effort involved. Right. That, that it's that, not that being open to someone is not a line that you cross and then you're home free. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, any more than any. Any more than personal salvation effort. is that, or yeah. you know, depending on if you're a Calvinist or not. You know, it's it's a. It's a promise that you hold, and the keeping of it is the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, and the choices you make day to day throughout the rest of your life. So, you know and what I would like to do? Oh, sorry. Oh. If you're still talking about Jericho, go ahead. No, I just want to say that one little bit in, in the middle, too, where she says, anyone will tell you just how hard it is to make and keep a friend. Maybe they'll short sell you, or maybe it's you who's Judas in the end when you can no longer pretend that you're getting what you need yeah. and you're giving out anything for them to grow and feed on. I just think, wow. Yeah, I know. Joni's, wow. Joni's pretty good. And I'm hesitant about what I'm about to say, but I think I might go ahead. Go ahead. I think we should also play How Long Are You Gonna Wait? Yeah. Because that song has been, since we've been talking so much about the importance of communication, ongoing communication and uh, the quality of vulnerability that is necessary for honest communication to continue in a relationship and how you can get into these kind of side trails and mm -hmm. kind of be stuck for a while without knowing you're stuck, stuff like that. And then you've got to kind of dig yourself out of that little side trail. The song, How Long Are You Going to Wait, which is one of my songs, is about the it's kind of a reflection on the story of how you and I came together, which we've already been talking about here today and in prior episodes maybe once or twice. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not like the people listening have not heard these stories before. <laughs> but uh, that's what How Long You're Gonna Wait has been about, and that's what I was thinking about when I wrote it and stuff like that. But yesterday morning, uh, after we had you know continued our epic conversation, uh, the night before, I was listening to it and thinking, you know, if you look at this, if you think of this song in terms of uh, vulnerability and in the terms of ongoing communication in a relationship as it moves forward, it, it takes on a whole different meaning. So it's not just an origin story anymore, it's kind of a, a an ongoing unfolding kind of story that describes the... Well, um, how you keep having to you have uh, to overcome a certain amount of fear on an ongoing yeah. basis in order to remain vulnerable. I guess yeah. that's what it's kind of about. I like what? that idea. Really? Yeah. You're I not like just that. saying that. No. She's. I think she's just saying it to I'm make me feel better. I think you know because Diane's a very supportive person, and we all know about it. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, that's been our week. A that's vulnerable, it. wonderful week. Here's to many more. Just like it. I love it.
You're waiting for the perfect moment A time when she least expects it You're gonna finally tell her how you really feel How long you gonna wait for the right word? How long you gonna wait for the right time? Gonna starve while you're waiting on the harvest moon? How long you gonna wait? Waiting for the ride that might not come Waiting for the day you don't feel dumb Waiting in the rain is fine for some How long you gonna wait? You're waiting till you think she's ready. You're waiting till the market's steady. You're waiting till the kids are out of school. You're waiting till you get a haircut. You're waiting till you lose that 10 pounds. You're waiting till you deal with all of your shit. How long you gonna wait? How long you gonna wait for the right word? How long you gonna wait for the right time? Gonna starve while you're waiting on the harvest moon. How long you gonna waiting for the ride that might not come? Waiting for the day you don't feel dumb. Waiting in the rain is fine for some. How long you gonna wait? How long you gonna wait? You're waiting for the next reunion Though they happen only once every ten years So you never wanna feel that you spoke too soon How long you're gonna You're waiting for the hip replacement And when you're done with the physical therapy And you can finally walk without that cane How long you're gonna wait? How long you're gonna wait for the right word? How long you gonna wait for the right time? Gonna starve while you're waiting on the harvest moon. How long you gonna waiting for the ride that might not come? Waiting for the day you don't feel dumb. Waiting in the rain is fine for some. How long you gonna? You're waiting for the perfect moment, a time when she least expects it. You're gonna finally tell her how you really feel. How long you gonna wait? How long you gonna wait?